Tuesday, November 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today is Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. How's everything? It's going all right. We've got we got a bunch of things to get to. We have a retail partnership. We've got some home building news. Uh, let's let's start here though. Um, on yesterday's show, we talked about uh, McDonald's. Um, McDonald's had announced plans to unveil a plant-based burger in 2021, and while that didn't do a lot for shares of McDonald's, it did send shares of Beyond Meat down about eight ten percent. And they are falling an additional 20% today after Beyond Meat's third quarter report came out. Uh, they had a big loss. Revenue was much lower than expected. They had a couple of write downs. This was, boy, this was not a good quarter for Beyond Meat, Jason. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not going to try to cupcake it. I mean, it wasn't a good quarter. Um, you know, I wouldn't call I wouldn't call Beyond Meat a stay-at-home stock necessarily. I mean, but in theory, it should benefit from more time at home and less eating at restaurants. And and it did to a degree. I mean, a lot of success was kind of pulled forward earlier in the year. And and we we saw that play out a little bit in this quarter. It's a little bit it's a little bit of a tale of two businesses here. The retail channel sales were up thirty nine percent from a year ago. Um, food service revenue, however, down forty one percent year over year. And and the reason why that really matters is because retail is by far and away the largest part of this business. I mean, it's eighty percent of the, of revenue through the first nine months of the year. So so that that difficulty uh, in food service. Does does play out on the business, but we can see at least. I mean, regardless of the sell off today, I mean, I think there's there's a reason to be optimistic of the business based on its retail presence. Um, but but all in all, you look at top line growth. I mean, that was just under three percent total. That is is clearly a problem for a stock that's valued the way this one is. I mean, it's not a knock on the business. Don't get me wrong. It's it's new business. It's young and it's growing, going through a very difficult time. But it's it's not profitable. They have no no free cash flow to speak of. It's it's not really a very high margin business either. So you know you couple all of that with a market where there are certainly there are a lot of substitutes these days. Um, I, I think they make a good product and they have a, a very good brand. I think that resonates with a lot of consumers. But it's a market where there are a lot of substitutes. So it's it's not something where they can just kind of go in there and own the market with no real no real uh, effort. And, and to that point, I mean they are going to. Uh, continue spending a lot on brand awareness, on promotional activity. That will play off uh, the financials in the near term. I mean, what we want to do is watch margins over the longer haul, look for efficiencies of scale, look at potential pricing power of the business. And if we see that play out, then you see things are kind of turning a corner. Uh, but just yet, yeah, not, not the best of quarters this quarter. I'm glad you mentioned the margins because that's. You know, that's one of those, it's a little bit in the weeds, but I think it's really important for investors to understand that, that you can look at this growing market. And I think we all agree this is a growing market. And you can be excited about this particular business. And as you said, the brand, there are opportunities for growth. You can be excited about all of that. But you, you really need to reconcile with the fact that, as you said, this is not a high margin business. This can be a good performer. But this is not, you know, this this is not the kind of margins that we see with, I don't know, collaborative software. 
<laughs> no, definitely not. This this really is not a tech company. It's not a SaaS business. So, I mean, just just please don't confuse those with this. Um, and it's always going to be that way. I mean, I think there is going to be a limit on the pricing they can exercise, just because it's it's food, right? I mean, it's food. You don't typically you don't typically have the opportunity to exercise a whole lot of pricing power when you have so many different substitutes out there. Um, you know, back to the success that was kind of pulled forward earlier in the year, uh, they're not seeing really any of the stockpiling tailwinds that they saw earlier in the year. And that stockpiling was a thing. It really did exist. We certainly heard the same kind of language in McCormick's call a little while back. Um, you know, they, they have continued to suspend guidance. They just don't see uh, they don't see enough clarity there to be able to offer uh, an idea of 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 you know, how the next several quarters are going to play out. Um, it, now, with that said, I mean, it, along with the spending and the brand awareness, they are creating more distribution relationships. I mean, it, the points of distribution grew 55% from a year ago, and that's great. Uh, an interesting distribution agreement they came up with. And, and I'm, I'm not scratching my head. I guess I'm just wondering how big of an impact this could have. Um, the Beyond Burger starting in, in uh, January of 2021 is going to be available at 7,000 CVS, <laughs> CVS pharmacy locations around the country and then beyond meatballs will be available at 5000 CVS pharma pharmacy locations around the country now that's good i think i mean in the sense that you're you're getting more distribution and and 70% of the population is located within 5 miles of a CVS and given CVS's efforts to become more of a of a healthcare company they're they're that's stoking traffic. And so I, I'm trying to figure out if that results in meaningful uh, bump in sales or if it's more just incremental. Uh, we'll just have to kind of wait to see there. But I, I do think the the most interesting part of the quarter was the McDonald's story. My initial thought when I saw the CVS news was that it would be incremental. But I think we can yeah. agree that if it's not incremental, if it's truly meaningful, we're going to hear about that on subsequent conference calls. <laughs> I'd imagine so. I'd imagine so. I mean, it reminded me of that that headline a while back when we we heard that. I think it was Walgreens said they were going to start selling sushi, and I, I mean, it just it, it didn't really line up. I'm not sure I really am going to Walgreens to get sushi, but you know, I mean, they gave it they gave it the old college try, so to speak. Um, I, I do think. The McDonald's story to me is fascinating because if you if you read through both companies' calls, if you read through McDonald's announcement on this on this McPlant platform, and then you read through Beyond Meat's earnings call and their reaction to the McDonald's news, it, it, it very two very different reactions. I mean, McDonald's clearly is playing offense here. In in on the other side of the coin, there Beyond Meat tried to. It, it's like they they couldn't really tell you it was a good thing or a bad thing. It, it, they, they felt a little bit more on the defensive there. It, it's a little bit less clear from Beyond Meat's perspective how that may impact the business. I think they were trying to play down the impacts there. Whereas McDonald's is like, hey, listen, this was, this was you know, built exclusively by us for us. And it sounds like that's where McDonald's is placing its chips going forward when it comes to a plant-based menu. They're not going to be relying on a partner like a Beyond Meat. Whereas Beyond Meat is kind of hemming and hawing and say, well, we're still going to be a part of the McDonald's universe. And they couldn't really offer any color as to how. So it caught me, it sounded like it caught them a little bit off guard. And we'll see how that plays out. I mean, that's not going to be fatal for the business, but it is it is a sign. You know, maybe other restaurant companies out there decide, 
to, to try to do their own thing. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Clearly, you know, the food service business matters. It doesn't matter as much as the retail, but it'll certainly be a story uh, to, to keep an eye on. If Beyond Meat had a rough quarter, uh, Dr. Horton's fourth quarter was pretty much everything a shareholder could hope for. Uh, profits and revenue <laughs> came in much higher than expected for the home builder. They raised their dividend, <clears throat> they raised their guidance for 2021, and shares of Dr. Horton up more than 4% this morning. Yeah, it's it's been a very nice time to be in the home building business if you're Dr. Horton, uh, it, particularly over the last five years. Um, over, over the last five years, they've generated over five billion dollars in in cash flow from home home building operations, growing consolidated revenues by eighty eight percent, earnings per share up by two hundred and sixteen percent. And if you stretch that out even over a longer period of time, there the stock is up almost four hundred and fifty percent over the last ten years. Um, it, you know, home builders kind of flying under the radar for a lot of folks, and myself included. Uh, but but Dr. Horton is is an exception, I think. It's the largest home building company in the U.S. as measured by the number of homes closed. Uh, big focus on first time and first time moving up home buyers. Big presence in the Southeast and the Midwest. And so, uh, you know, the guidance that they set last quarter. They set guidance for consolidated revenues in the range of five and a half to five point eight billion dollars, and and to close approximately eighteen to nineteen thousand homes, and the actual numbers came in consolidated revenue well above their expectations at six point four billion dollars, and homes closed of better than twenty point two thousand, and and so you know the growth there has been really impressive, and and part of that is due to the interest rate environment. Uh, it's creating a lot of demand. There is clearly a shortage of homes, which is playing out very well for Dr. Horton. I mean, I tell you, it, it looks like 2021 is shaping up to be another good year. They're calling for revenue in the 24 to 25 billion dollar range, and homes closed between 77 and 80 thousand. That's 20 percent growth at the midpoint for both metrics. There, uh, it, it's hard to look through this quarter and find something to be concerned about. Shares are up nearly 30% year-to-date, and I know we've talked in the past about the housing industry writ large and sort of, if you're an investor, what's the best way to sort of get into that? And you and I and others have said some version of the following sentence. Well, don't leap in with the home builders. You know, you can you can get <laughs> you can get into the housing industry by looking at businesses that play into that, whether it's home improvement like Home Depot and Lowe's, or materials businesses like Sherwin Williams. The way Dr. Horton has been performing over the last, I would say, six to twelve months, they are <laughs> they are making a good case for hey, if you want, if you want to get into the housing industry. Um, this is a really, really solid performer right now. I, I, I totally agree, and it, you know, it's it's a market that, yeah, I mean, you're right. We've always thought, you know, play it, play it in sort of an ancillary fashion. You you can touch the housing market by investing in a lender, or you know, we had we had Ellie May, for example, before they were acquired. Home Depot and Lowe's have obviously done very well through the years. Um, and, and and you know, Dr. Horton is just one of those home builders that, it, it, because of their scale, because of their expertise in the space, they've always been just a very good operator. And then you you add that, you add to that the current environment. I, it, it, you know, I mean, it sounds like this environment's going to be with us for a little while. And and at the end of the day, you need a roof over your head, right? And so, given that they're focusing on that first time and first time moving up home buyer, I mean, that's a really 
that's a big opportunity. And, and it just, you know, you look at the numbers that they've chalked up over the last decade, you look at their efficiency, the scale. I mean, it just, it's really hard to argue against what this business is doing. Target and Ulta Beauty have announced a deal to open makeup and beauty shops inside of Target stores. This is going to be starting in the second half of 2021. Essentially, these will be mini versions of an Ulta Beauty store in more than 100 Target locations across the country. We don't know the financial terms of this deal, but shares of both are up. Uh, Ulta Beauty uh, shares up more than Target. This really seems like a win-win. That was my impression when I, when I first read through this through this deal earlier this morning. Is I, I really do feel like it's a great deal for both sides. Um, I, I would venture a guess that Target sees more foot traffic than Ulta on a daily basis. I think you'd probably agree with that. Um, uh, obviously, obviously, Target has a, a massive footprint around the country and and uh, and elsewhere. But I mean, this is really this is really a domestic uh, play here. And, and with Ulta, you know, Ulta for Ulta has always been, I think, a really a really good performer. I think they got caught in a difficult situation with uh, the pandemic here earlier on because so much of uh, their their success has really relied on on foot traffic and physical presence. Right? They have that dynamic to the business that is you know that salon dynamic uh, where you know if you're going to get your hair done, you can't get that done virtually. Right? You got to actually be at the place. And you know when you look at things like hair care products, styling tools, services, I mean that makes up a good 25% of their sales. Um, so it, it's not it's not crucial, but it certainly played out on their financials earlier in the year. This deal with Target, I think, is really smart, just from a number of angles. For Ulta, more so than Target, I think. Um, because Ulta, when you look at cosmetics, skincare, bath, and fragrance, those those categories all together, I mean, you throw hair care products in there as well, but you're, you're talking about 75 to 80%, if not more, of, of, of total revenue there. And that really, that really just lines up with the kind of stuff that Target is selling to begin with. And so, yeah, I mean, in regard to the actual finances of the deal, that's that's unclear. And maybe it's just kind of a, you know, a, a quid pro quo thing here where Target gains traffic and Ulta gains sales by virtue of that traffic. Um, and, you know, Target benefits from incremental sales from that traffic. I'm not sure, but they're definitely going to gain another traffic driver, so to speak, in, in a very relevant category. I mean, this is a category that it's very resilient. I mean, it's just amazing to look at this this market over over the years and, and to, to see its resiliency. And, and I think Ulta, Ulta has a very strong brand in the space. And, and so, for them, I think it was always trying to figure out how they could go beyond just the Ulta store. And, and I think this is one way to do it. You know, they've also made a lot of investments in e-commerce and some immersive technology plays there to bring more augmented reality into the app to allow people to try things on virtually, so to speak. Um, but but yeah, I, I think all in all, I, I think it's really interesting to see how big the loyalty program is going to become with with these two companies. You know, in their relationship combined, I mean, there are a lot of things you can do with that, and and then. Add to it Target's expertise in in shipping and in logistics, right? They 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 own Shipped, and and they're doing a lot of great stuff with Shipped, and so I would imagine that'll be another another way that Alta will be able to utilize those resources that that Target has. Yeah, the loyalty program was one of the thoughts I had because Alta Beauty has done such a good job over the years, and and you know. 
All credit to Mary Dillon, uh, the CEO at Ulta Beauty, yeah. and sort of the way she has run this business over the last few years in particular. Um, but I, I think there are a couple of things that bear watching. First and foremost is, and again, we're we're you know we're talking about the second half of next year that this is going to start. But I think. Uh, one thing to watch, obviously, is how quickly does Target decide this is working for us and therefore we're going to expand this. I mean, right now we're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of 6% of Target locations in the U.S. Um, so, this yeah. is, I think they're being very smart and just sort of saying, no, we're not going to up, upend every location we have. Let's test this. So, if they start deciding, no, we need to roll this out. Uh, and make this a priority in more locations. I, that's one thing to watch. And as as you indicated, the loyalty program. I mean, if this becomes not just a way for Ulta to move more merchandise, but to get more people signed up, if they start accelerating signups into their loyalty program, uh, that's a huge win for them. Yeah, and I mean the way these companies are using technology these days. I mean, it's it's. They're doing great things with data, and and you know the more you can partner up with companies that are thinking that way, um, it just you're finding more ways to personalize and and target no pun intended deals for specific customers for specific things. I mean, you, you can just do so much with it, and I, I mean I think it it was interesting from I did notice how they were saying with Target. I mean they're gonna they're gonna be training you know a certain swath of employee at Target to really become you know, beauty consultants. I mean, they're not, you're not going to just go into a Target, for example, and just buy some Ulta stuff. I mean, there are going to be resources dedicated towards, you know, giving customers information in, in, in different perspectives and ways to look at all of these different Ulta products. I mean, you're not going to go in there necessarily flying blind. And I think that's excellent from a customer service perspective. It, it, I, I kind of feel like maybe that's attractive from an employee perspective. I would imagine there's some employees that would like to be an expert at something. Like it's always fun to say, "Hey, I'm really good at this one thing," or "I'm an expert at this one thing." I've been trained in this one thing. It, it gives you a little bit more of a, a potential career path. And and with the two companies together, maybe that career path could go in one of one of two directions: either Target or Alta. And I think that both companies uh, seem to be doing really well. So uh, yeah, I just I think there's a lot to like about this deal. It, obviously, a lot a lot to learn. But but I think based on what we know, a lot to like. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.